thought we would now just turn our attention to climate. And uh, one of the things that's been uh, a bit of a concern is, uh, in fact, more than a bit of a concern, a, a serious worry is uh, the weather that's been happening up in northern New South Wales and southeastern Queensland. I'm just looking at the radar now. There's a big mass of it, mainly actually getting down towards the Coffs Harbour area. It's probably do- dropping a bit of rain up on northern New South Wales in those pl- those places that have really been hammered, Tweed Heads and uh, Byron Bay and around there, copping some more rain. Looks most of it sort of seems to be hanging offshore at the moment as we speak, but really not good news for people up there. And as a little bit of background uh, before we go into this discussion about the, the possible reasons behind this, I was up in Byron for a, a friend's birthday and we all went up there and we got stuck in it and it just poured with rain there was no there was no beach time it wasn't anything really apart from just keeping out of the weather uh, running around with a, an umbrella and uh, you know not not really a sort of typical sort of bar and bay experience although a couple of locals did say to me this time of year up there is is sort of renowned to being wet but not not as wet as we experience because you know when you've got um, you know when you occasionally down here we get these super we get these cells black and red cells on the radar and they just drop a ton of rain but it, it tends to be over pretty quickly you know it might be 20 minutes 10 minutes or even five minutes it's like a little cell that goes over and pounds and then off it goes it dissipates or it it moves off up there when i was there and this was going back about a month from a month ago from now when all those big floods happened it rained like that like deluge rain for about 36 hours without stopping and that's where you just get so and the the ground was already wet because it had been very very wet it's been wet all up there it's been a you know it's the el nino sorry la nina uh, weather event that um, you know we're we're experiencing the, the side effects of, and it was just really unbelievable the amount of rain. It was just absolutely pouring down, and this is what they're concerned about uh, happening again up in um, up in northern New South Wales at the moment. But hopefully it won't be as bad. The effects are, are, are terrible, you know, for everyone. So you know the businesses are closed because their staff have got to go home and, and sandbag their their um, their houses or or help their neighbours out or you know get their stuff out of their flood flooded house and and put it away somewhere. You know supermarkets run short of supplies because trucks can't get through the the floodwaters. You know there were people having to and you, I know you've got some comments about this. People having to charter private helicopters to get rescue people off the, off their roofs. Yeah, friends of mine were involved in getting rescued like that. Um, a lot of the the influencers that have helped save the bees live in those areas and um, they were terribly upset that um, and they're probably terribly paranoid about the government now in terms of the fact that they they didn't call it a state of emergency for for a long time and um, and they were saying that they chartered this you know, helicopter to go and rescue people mm. while the news helicopters were all sort of just flying over, ignoring the people on their roofs. Um, and um, the community, it seemed to galvanise amazingly well to, to rescue a lot of the people that were suffering um, mm. Mm. out in the hills. Yeah, it's terrible. I mean, really terrible what was going on there. We were we were actually a bit stuck. We, we had to stay for an extra couple of days because the highway, the, uh, the, the main... Um, Pacific Highway heading north to uh, surfers was was closed and uh, underwater, and then the road down to Ballina was underwater. In fact, Ballina, the, the airport at Ballina, which is a, a smaller airport than than Coolangatta, uh, but it was uh, it was absolutely 
you, you know, you, you could you could get down there for some of it, but they were cancelling a lot of the flights. So you, you know, I mean, in the end, we actually were booking flights at both airports because we had to get home. You know, we had we had commitments, we had families, we had children, we had all sorts of reasons why we had to get back. I mean, look, we thought we had a problem, but it was nothing compared with what we saw driving. Eventually, we got a really nice Uber driver and big, big shout out to Daniel, who drove us up there and kind of risked his his neck a little bit to get us. He drove us through some floodwaters. We went through a closed road. We had to. We had no other way to get through. And we got some local knowledge about um, the the best way to do that and where to go. And, you know, like the the community spirit up there was amazing. There was actually someone, just a member of the public, standing in the middle of this. It wasn't fast-flowing water. In fact, there'd been a few days of the, to, to let the the levels go down um but probably about a foot deep maybe a bit more uh, he's standing there just just directing traffic in the middle of this 100 meters of of um you know the tweed river you had to go through to get out and and get up to the airport which we which we finally got to and we on the way we drove um so we took it we ended up taking a coast road instead of being on the on the um freeway on the on the main uh, m1 or the the pacific highway going up and you know some of the devastation we went through there was a town which, which we drove through where every single person there had uh water damaged houses they were piling up their waterlogged furniture and bits and pieces things that had been wrecked by the floods at the front of their houses no, you know, there was no one who'd, who'd, who'd escaped. You know, every single person there was was in the same boat. You know, you got to feel sorry for for these these communities because, I mean, look, fire would be more scary in in some ways, and maybe it is more life threatening. But there, as you said, there's there's um, there's, there's things like um, Japanese encephalitis. There's you know there's mosquito borne disease that that uh, you know they they thrive in that kind of uh, watery environment uh, where it's where it's humid and hot. Um, but also just just the damage that water does to things and how much it wrecks things and uh, and you can't you know you can't extinguish it you know you can't there's nothing you can do really to stop water you know fires you can actually extinguish but water you can't really stop you know when it's a when it's a big river and when you've got in in Ballina and and uh, and and Lismore the, I think that the, the catchment area that feeds into to Ballina because I was asking someone why isn't Byron Bay underwater because Byron Bay had some you know flash flooding. But it didn't have; it wasn't underwater, and they said, "Well, that's because it doesn't have a big river going through it." Mm. Ballina has this, you know, hundreds of kilometres of hills and valleys that channel down into this into this area. It's a floodplain, essentially. Well, it's, it's been proven to be one recently, very sadly. Mm. So, it raises lots of issues. Uh, I mean, the causes are something which we'll come to, but people, people. I mean, we're all very, very used to having our phones working. We're used to having the internet. We're used to having the ability to make phone calls in emergencies and order things and find out about road conditions, find out about weather, all that sort of stuff. Phones were failing. The internet was failing. Uh, Wi-Fi was failing. Um, as I was saying, shops were shut. The staff were off. Flights were cancelled. Roads were closed. Uh, people were so desperate to get away from rising water, and it was so extreme in Ballina and elsewhere. There were people going up through manholes in their, to get into their roofs to get away, and drowning in their ceilings because the water went over the top of their house. Unbelievable. Uh, and it raises some big issues about, um, you know, about if you want to rebuild there, can you will, you? will you be able to insure your house? You know, is that something that's ever going to be possible again? And if and, and you know, the insurance industry in Australia has actually been calling on the uh, on the government to to subsidize to put you know create a fund to actually subsidise insurance in these high risk areas, whether it's whether it's uh, rising sea level, flood, bushfire, all these sort of things where people like to live in Australia. Well, what happens? You know, do you do you, do you just, just have a house that's uninsured and then you lose it in a flood, then you lose your life savings, and then you have a big big debt to a bank potentially. 
these are serious issues. Or do we sort of say to people, you know, okay, we really have to encourage people to live somewhere else, which is safer. But then, you know, how do you deal with all these communities that have been dislocated and, and, and lost everything? It's a bit like what, you know, what, what happened in some parts of New Zealand when they had those big earthquakes in places like Christchurch. Well, there were areas of Christchurch, Christchurch which were declared, you know, you, you can't rebuild in them because they're, they're, um, they've got liquefaction or whatever. The, the ground's just turned into quicksand. You know, you can't build there. Uh, but how you compensate people for that, you know, and, and, and what are the limits to compensation? I mean, you know, it's a very, very complicated issue and it is a terrible one for people who have been um, so badly affected. It, it's not just up there. I mean, we have issues of rising sea level on Western Port, you know, next, next bay along from, from uh, Port Phillip Bay. Uh, we have erosion issues down in Portsea. Uh, the beach there, which which you know supposedly came from the the, the, the deepening of the of the channel through the the heads, um, but is it wise to rebuild on a floodplain if you live in if you live in Ballina or, or Lismore? Um, I mean, these are such tough questions because if you've lived up lived up there all your life and that's where your community, that's where you come from, that's where your business is, that's where your friends are, you don't want to have to up, pull up stumps. And, and you touched on something with the insurance companies. Mm. Um, a lot of people argue about climate change, whether it's real or not. But the insurance companies, their major concern is profit. And um, obviously, if they're having to choosing not to insure people or asking the government to chip in, um, then I think the way I've heard it report, reported is that once every... Um, a, a hundred year storm is now once every 30 years but then yeah to, to think about what we've been witnessing with this and the bushfires you'd have to say you know maybe these catastrophic things are going to happen even more often than that well it's been a pretty rough rough few years in australia hasn't it i mean starting in in uh, at the end of 2019 uh, into the summer of 2020 there were bushfires that burnt out a huge amount of the southeast corner of australia there was smoke from those that went around the world there was there were bad air days in new zealand from smoke that was blowing over from australia mm. uh there was there was huge loss of property there was loss of life the navy was having to rescue people and and, and off jetties and stuff and take them out because there was no other way out of places uh in southeast australia which had been burnt out where the where the you know the fires coming down and driving people onto the beach into these you know into naval boats that took them out very very unprecedented then continuing the sort of disaster from that was the the pandemic which which everyone uh, experienced and 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 hammered the place and hammered people's livelihoods and their mental health and so on and then now to to have these massive floods you're listening to beyond infinity infinity Thanks for listening. Remember to visit our program website, beyondinfinity.com.au, where you'll find our complete back catalogue of over 600 podcasts. That's beyondinfinity.com.au. It's been a tough time in Australia, and climatologists have been saying for years that Australia as a continent is particularly vulnerable to climate change, and it looks like it's being proved true, that uh, we are having a succession of, I know the pandemic is something else, but, but bushfire, now floods, uh, big storms. You know, in October last year, we had some massive storms on the Mornington Peninsula that blew trees over. I had a friend actually who very, you know, really sad for her, but uh, a tree blew over, broke the ma- water mains, and she's down in a bit of a dip. Mm-hmm. And they didn't turn the water mains off for about four hours, and it flooded her house completely. Yeah. And, and I think a neighbor's house as well. So, 
you know that and that, so and then not to mention all these beautiful big established trees that we lost mm. you know so it seems like extreme weather does it seems like it's happening more and more often and uh, you know you you mentioned how uh, that, you know they've been doing things like cloud seeding and i think this is interesting and, and i mean i'm not sure that i i well i know that cloud seeding um happens and i know that it it um it, it can can be useful controlling the planet's weather is a pretty key thing to be able to do if you want to if you, if you can right i mean we, we've been doing it in one way or another for, for, for centuries we store wood for winter especially in in cold climates to to give us a way of, of surviving through through winter we, we store grains and things to give us a way through of surviving through winter so we we're not controlling the climate we're responding to the climate but if you could control the climate then you would give yourself a big advantage and apparently this was happening for the beijing olympics and not just in china but it's, it's happening in a lot of other countries around the world but china's spent a huge amount of money to uh, force rain to happen earlier than it would normally have happened and this was apparently a benefit that to them with the winter games that was staged recently in in beijing there's at least 52 countries uh, including the United States, that, that have uh, weather modification programs. That's that's an increasing number, 10 more countries than five years ago, according to the World Meteorological Organization. But it is a worry because there are people who are suggesting that this might have been one of the reasons you had those those record floods. Um, yeah, p- people around there get quite um, suspicious. And I've had every conspiracy theory thrown at me because I run Save the Bees and... People are trying to say all sorts of things are killing the bees. Um, for me, it's been a bit more rational in, of course, the insecticides um, kill them. But for things like chemtrails, um, well, I've, I've seen the footage of the, the clouds and, and whatever they're dumping in the skies and whether that's um, cloud seeding. One thing you can't argue about is this technology does exist, mm. but how effective it is is very hard to monitor and even extremely hard to monitor for um, scientists themselves because they don't know whether the, the seeding worked or didn't work. But particularly for um, the community up there, that they're already insecure because of the mandates and not wanting to be involved in them. And then... Secondly, after they do get the flooding, the government were were extremely slow to, to to lend a hand, and then a lot of them are sending me material about whether this is actually the government or or the system wanting them to move out of the area, and um, yeah, they're they're putting all sorts of. Um, you know, different ideas together to to sort of paint a picture that that it. it it could be malevolent. The the whole thing. Apparently, the in the in uh, the sixties and seventies, the U.S. military was um, spending money on weather weather modification campaigns to d- designed to draw out monsoon the monsoonal season and create muddy muddy difficult conditions for enemy fighters. Right, and here's a little snippet. Uh, this is um, we're both referring to an article uh, in businessinsider.com. Um, but it, the objective of this program that was uh, happening in, in uh, the Vietnam War was to uh, increase race, rainfall sufficiently in carefully selected areas to deny the enemy the use of roads by softening road surfaces, causing landslides along roadways, washing out river crossings, maintaining saturated soil conditions beyond the normal time span. Now, look, 
I'm with you. I, I, I think that to, I, I think it's a symptom of how desperate and and um, how just how tough it is for for communities that have been devastated by floods up in in northern New South Wales and south, southeastern Queensland, that they uh, may be more vulnerable to believing these sort of conspiracy theories that maybe this was a, some kind of man-made event, you know, or was it was it was um, contributed to. I just I just think that that to me that's quite far-fetched, but I can understand the susceptibility to these sort of suggestions, and certainly it is documented that that cloud seeding has been done, and it's been done in, in wartime scenarios to, to with it with malevolent, um, you know, with it with it taking on the enemy and, and harnessing the weather to to help your cause. Yeah, I think the first thing that you have to do when you, you're talking to people and trying to do it in a rational way, talk the specifics of what is actually true and, and not just completely dismiss them as conspiracy theorists straight out. But I think what I noticed up there, which was very touching, is that they um, the morale amongst the people in that area and the way they combined without government to help each other out was um i think you know it was inspiring just to see that they'd organized a helicopter to pick people up and and take them back to town and and to see those systems like gofundme or or crowdfunding systems work so well where you, you could really you could spot someone who needed help and then you know to contribute to them the next day I, I did find that side of things inspiring mm. and um, and if they need to think the government caused this to, to help galvanise them, well, um, you know, if they need that, so be it. And Well, I think one of the things about it is that, you know, even if there are efforts to try to manipulate weather systems for, for whatever purpose, whether it's economic, whether it's war-related or whether it's trying to undermine someone's economy or weaken a country or divide people or bankrupt people or whatever weather systems are such difficult systems to predict accurately anyway i mean we use supercomputers the most powerful computers in australia are used by uh, some of them uh, some of the most powerful are used by the bureau of meteorology uh, to try to predict the weather so it's a very chaotic system that you're trying to sift through all this data to work out how it's going to behave and what it's going to do and so so say you've got a campaign of cloud seeding and stuff you might think you've had a, a, a the weather has responded to the things that you've done but you actually wouldn't be sure because it's such a chaotic system so how do you actually tease out what is a sort of man-made input to what's actually happened yeah, so it, yeah, it would drive me crazy in the end um, to try to work it out. But as um, we've recognised reading that article, there are probably some minds who do know how to um, manipulate things. Mm. And there's so much need for it. I mean, there's drought, there's flooding, there's all extremes of weather because we're, we're clearing rainforest and, and, and natural habitats, there are so many different things going on around the world that require you know, more water or, or the benefits that might flow from manipulating the climate through, through uh, you know, these, kind of t- these kind of techniques. The people are going to keep trying these sort of things, Simon. You know, they're not going to give up because, because there are so many benefits that could flow from being able to control the climate. If you can, if you, the better you get at it, the, the better the, the, the potential benefit. Obviously, for me, the monoculture crops that are growing, they need a hell of a lot of water and if you can time the rain on top of them. But I can see why people would be disturbed at this manipulation, like uh, particularly studying how the bees live they're um 
it, once you start manipulating one area, it's going to have a runoff effect in, in another area. And um, I guess that's what's disturbing about this whole climate change issue is we, we have no idea where we're going to end up. Yep, exactly. And so weather modification is a, uh, you can understand why, why uh, countries are trying it, not just in, in sort of war or, or you know, that, that kind of area, but, but just in, in terms of trying to uh, ease extreme weather events. I mean, that, that in itself would be a, a, a huge thing that would motivate people to do this sort of stuff. But there are risks associated with doing it. You could wind up making it a lot worse for yourself. And you? um, where do the laws come into it? Like, obviously communities haven't consented to the seeding programs so i don't know the the legal rules in regards to airspace and what they're allowed to to dump on on certain areas and then you get into the international areas and you know what they're doing overseas obviously we can't consent to that either mm. so it's got, um, it has has some interesting um you know consequences because if you you do something to the weather but, but maybe to do something for your own country but weather systems aren't just confined to one country they go over borders really easily so you do something that you know it can easily flow over into your neighbor as well so then it has a, an issue of um, international law and doing the right thing by your neighbor or the wrong thing yeah.